Before we open the Word of God today, I want to open in a word of prayer, and then we will begin our study. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your Word. I thank you where you say, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And we thank you for being in the midst of us today. Lord, we pray for Brother Tim Donahue and his wife, Anna, that you would be with him in this time. Lord, they've had a lot of uh, medical struggles between Tim and now Anna. And Lord, we just pray for your watch care over them. We know that you, you are the great physician. And we trust that in you, and we claim that for them. We, and we pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and discernment to rightly divide your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, we're going to be in the first part of Acts chapter 7, which is Stephen's sermon. But before we do that, I want to turn to John chapter 8. Because as I was thinking about uh, Stephen preaching this sermon to the leaders of the Sanhedrin and, and the like, I was thinking about a conversation that Jesus had with them in John chapter 8. And of course, there's a lot here Um Eventually, I would like to preach through the book of John because it's another wonderful book. But um, in this chapter, Jesus says in John 8, uh, let's see, let me see here. I had it. thought it was 23. Let me look here. No, John 8, 33. Sorry. John 8, 33. Um, well, let's look at 31 first. Then said Jesus to these Jews, which believe on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him and said, We be Abraham's seed, and we have never been in bondage to anyone, yet yet shall yet how sayest thou, you shall be made free. And then Jesus will go on to talk about if you are commit sin, you're a servant of sin. So we've all spent time in slavery in that respect. But what I want to point out this morning is the idea that the people that were saying this, remember we, we said in the breaking of bread, they said, we won't have this king to reign over us, we have no king but Caesar. They were under bondage at that very moment because they were under bondage to the Roman government. They couldn't kill Jesus even though by their law they said, uh, he must die. They said, we cannot execute him without your permission, Pilate. So give us permission to kill Jesus. So they were proving their bondage, and yet they said, we are in bondage to no one. So that just shows kind of their ignorance. 
I think it's a good introduction to today because um, Stephen is going to dig into uh, these Old Testament stories from the uh, from the early part of the uh, Jewish faith, from how the Jewish people came to be. And he's going to do that um, starting with some of our well-known um, Old Testament stories. So let's begin to read. And um, I, for my outline today, I have broken it up into three parts. We're going to cover the first 19 verses, Lord willing, of Acts chapter 7. And I have God's call of Abraham. And I have God's continued blessing on Israel. And then I have God's deliverance of Israel through Joseph. And this this sermon I have simply titled, Stephen Preaches Christ from the Old Testament. And I find it interesting, there are so many parallels between Stephen and Christ, which is awesome because what is what is a Christian? A Christian is one who is a little Christ or who is Christ-like. And Stephen certainly showed that, as we will see when we get into Acts chapter 8, but also here. Because remember, my dad read in the Breaking of Bread this morning about um, the road to Emmaus. And what does it say that Jesus did? It said, beginning... In the Old Testament and through all the prophets, Jesus spoke all things concerning himself. Remember what Jesus said to the, the, the Pharisees when they said, We are Moses' disciples. And he said, If you were, then you would believe in me because Moses testified of me. And so today we're going to look at Stephen's defense for the things that he was saying because false witnesses rose up, again, much like his Savior. So let's look at Acts 7, 1 to 5. Then said the high priest, verse 1, Are these things so? And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia, before he he dealt in Charon, and said, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come on to the land which I will show thee. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Charon, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed into his land wherein he dwell, and he gave him none inheritance in it, not so much as to set his foot on, yet he promised that he would give it to him for possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. Now, I find it interesting, and I think you'll see as we go through um, this chapter of Acts, and we see some of these Old Testament stories being told, we see a little bit more detail than perhaps is provided in the Old Testament narrative. Now, I don't know how... how um, Stephen necessarily knew this, whether it was direct divine intervention or whether there were other writings. But one commentary I read 
spoke of the fact that um, perhaps Abraham wasn't as immediately obedient as it indicated in Genesis because he goes from the land of the Chaldeans and then he dwells in, dwells in Karen and then when his father dies, only after his father dies, does he go into the land where God would show him. And then of course, what is he what is he told to do? He said he's told to get out of the land of your kindred and go to a land which I will show you. Get away from your kindred. Get out of the land, get away from your kindred. And what does he do? He brings Lot along with him. And Lot being with him causes strife, which he probably would not have had if he had left Lot behind. So even Abraham, this patriarch of the faith, he was imperfect, but God still used him. Remember in Genesis chapter 15, it says, he believed God and God accounted it to him for righteousness. We're not talking about a superhuman person. We're talking about a man, as it says of Elijah, who was of like passions as you and I are. That's who we're talking about. And so what Stephen is doing here is he is talking about, hey, this Abraham who you revere, he was looking for Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8, back to that passage. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. And the leader said, how could he? How could you know this? You're not yet 50 years old. And what did Jesus say? Before Abraham was, I am. That's probably one of my all-time favorite passages of Scripture because it enforces to me that whatever I'm going through, whatever is going on in the world, before Abraham was, I am. And the same I am who spoke in the Old Testament and the same I am who said that in John chapter 8 is the same I am who is sustaining and providing for me and you today. What a wonderful truth that is. And I find it interesting, don't you? Usually when we're promised things by God, and I know I'm this way, I feel like I've been promised something by God, and I say, okay, God, pay up. You said this would happen, now pay up. Remember, Abraham looked into the sky and he saw the stars and he saw the sand of the sea and Jesus said, or God said, your descendants are going to number that. And then he waited 25 years before he even gave Abraham a son. To the point that Abraham said, can't Eliezer, who's, who's a servant in my house and much loved by me, can't he be my heir? And God said, no, your heir will come from your loins. And then he said, well, what about Ishmael, who I had born from Hagar? And God said, no, he will be a great nation of his own, but your heir will come 
from Sarah. And when the angel of the Lord, who I believe was the pre-incarnate Christ, came to Abraham and said, this time next year you will have a son, what does it say? It says, Sarah laughed in her tent. And the angel of the Lord, Jesus, said, why did she laugh in her tent? And she said, I did not laugh. And the angel said, I saw you laugh in your tent. But nonetheless, even in their unbelief, God still blessed them the way he said that he would. And this is what Stephen is laying out. He's saying, even in your unbelief, God is trying to bless you as his chosen people. Let's look at Genesis 12, 1-4. Genesis 12, 1 to 4. Um, by way of cross reference. If someone gets that, if they could read it for me, that would be awesome. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was seventy-five years old. So, Abraham was told by God to go, and he was told, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. We are told by Paul to pray for the peace of Israel. That is why it's a big deal to have a president who loves Israel? Because we speak against Israel, we go against Israel to our own peril. Do we not remember that Israel conquered Midianites with 300 men? Because God plus anyone is a majority. And I will say unashamedly, to you today, from this pulpit, I believe that the people of Israel are still God's chosen people. And he is going to fulfill every promise he made for them. And fortunately, we get to experience some of those promises because we were grafted in. We got the crumbs from the master's table. And I'm so grateful for that. I think one of the things Stephen is talking about in this first part of this passage is about our, the importance of obeying God. Believing God. There was, a, there was a song that we used to sing when I was a kid that said, Obedience is listening attentively. 
you know, because when I was a kid, I, I, I used to say things like, Mom would say, well, well, I told you to do this. Why didn't you do it? And I would say, well, I didn't hear you. And she'd say, obedience is listening. What did Eli say to Samuel? When God was calling out to Samuel and Eli knew it was God, then Eli said to Samuel, go back. And if he calls to you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. It is said that a tradesman once advertised for a boy to assist in his shop. A few hours after the morning paper was circulating, his office was thronged with all kinds of boys. And not knowing which to choose, he advertised again as followed. Wanted to assist in a shop, a boy who obeys his mother. In response, there were only two boys who ventured to apply for the situation. This would still be a good test, very likely. If you obey your leadership growing up, you will honor and respect your leadership as you grow up. When you're a kid, you think there's gonna there's gonna be one day when I'm not under anyone's authority. And then as you grow up and become an adult, you realize you're always gonna be under the authority of someone whether it's in your church, whether it's at your employer. And perhaps even more important, there's always going to be someone younger or someone less experienced looking to you as an example. Charles Barkley once famously said, I am not a role model. But as I often say, you are a role model. The question is not whether you're a role model. The question is, what are you role modeling? Because no matter how obscure you feel, someone is following your example. So at the end of the day, do you want to point them to Christ or away from Christ? These are things that we need to think about. Okay, so God's continued blessing on Israel. Acts 7, 6 to 10. Acts 7, 6 to 10. And God spoke on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years. And the nation to which they shall be in bondage will I judge, says God. And after that they shall come forth and serve me in this place. And he gave to him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. And delivered him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made him governor over all Egypt and all his house. So in this passage we see God actually told Israel, Jacob, before he went to Egypt, your people will be in bondage 
but I will lead you out. Now, I don't know about you, but I might have hesitated to go down to Egypt hearing that from God, but also (coughs) Jacob knew that God was real, that he was in control, and that he knew what he was doing. Even though he did a lot of things wrong, he still knew that God was worth following and listening to. And I don't know about you, but I find it interesting that when the Pharaoh calls Jacob to him and asks him about his sojourn, what does he say? He says, Few and evil have been the days of thy servant upon the earth. Again, these are patriarchs. These are the people that these religious leaders supposedly look to for strength and guidance. And yet we're finding out that they're not perfect, just like you and I are not perfect. How many of us would be willing to go before a leader and say, few and evil are the days of my life. And yet apart from the Spirit of God, apart from the life-changing blood of Jesus Christ, that is the truth. And then he says he'll judge the nation for putting him in slavery. And he did. He sent the ten plagues. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. So Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. So Stephen is laying out all these things. The things that made you great as the nation of Israel. They all came from God. The God who I serve. I've been accused of blaspheming this God, but I'm not. I'm telling you how this God and Jesus are one and the same. And then he goes into, starts into Joseph. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. I find it very interesting. Okay, I've been reaching through the story of Joseph at my home church, Northwest Gospel Hall. And repeatedly throughout the whole story of Joseph, you see this phrase, and God was with him, and God was with him, but God was with him, but God was with him. You know, I've often thought that if I had an epitaph, I'd want it to be like something like, he served God with his whole heart. And that is true. I want that to be my testimony. But perhaps an even greater epitaph is he was imperfect. He was not, not, he was not everything. He was not all that in a bag of chips. But God was with him. Because you see, without God, we are nothing. With God, we are everything that we need to be. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. What did he mean? He meant that I can abound, I can suffer need, I can be tortured, I can be beaten, 
I can make tents. I can do whatever it is that God puts in my path today because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens with me. And on the other hand of the spectrum, Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. So I think there's some really important lessons for us to learn today. And then verse 10 is so good. And delivered him out of all his afflictions. And gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Can you imagine it? As he's sitting there in the court of Pharaoh, dressed in his royal apparel. I wonder if he was thinking about that dungeon he was in that morning. He probably had quite the beard going because it says that he shaved and cleaned himself before he went before the Pharaoh. But he was just saying, God, continue to be with me. God, show me what to do. I don't know the answer, but there is a God in Israel. There is a God in heaven who knows the answers. And then after he showed Pharaoh the answer, Pharaoh said, we need such a man within whom the Spirit of God is to lead us through this time. Oh, how I wish that we as a country had that on our minds when we went to the polls to vote for our leaders. Someone of wisdom in whom the Spirit of God is. We are crumbling because we have lost that foundation. And when I realize the things that God has taken upon himself, the sins that Jesus has taken upon his back, I realize how petty all the disagreements that we have are. We think we know how to forgive, and then we look at Jesus. And he forgave people that had no intention of ever accepting him. You ever think about the fact that he loved Pilate? He did. When Pilate said, what is true that must really grieve Jesus? Because the truth was standing right in front of him and he missed it. And so many people today, the truth is standing right in front of them. And it's missed. My friends, may I encourage you. Paul said that we are epistles known and read of all men. And may I encourage you that we may be that glimpse of Jesus that God uses to show himself to others. It's quite the challenge. Um, Genesis 15, 13 to 15, 
And then Exodus 12, 40 to 41, quickly in cross-reference. And then Exodus twelve forty to forty one. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was four hundred and thirty years, and it came to pass at the end of four hundred and thirty years, even the self same day it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. First of all, isn't it wonderful that God keeps his promises? God told Abraham, your descendants will be in bondage for 400 years. And then they will be released and go forth with great substance. And if we read on, if we read in more detail about that time, we find that even the Egyptians gave them things that they needed for their travels. Because see, when God blesses us, he blesses us over and above what we could ask or think. Um, and there, and there's an old Garth Brooks song that says some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And sometimes we think that God hasn't blessed us because he hasn't answered the prayer of our hearts, but the prayer but he often has something better for us than we even think we need. Because he knows the end from the beginning. Okay, our final section. Oh, actually, let me read this story for you quickly. At 16, Ander Foldos was already a skilled pianist, but he was experiencing a troubled year. In the midst of the young Hungarian's personal struggles, one of the most renowned pianists of the day came to Budapest. Emil von Sauer was famous not only for his abilities, but also uh, the last surviving pupil of the great Franz Liszt. Von Sauer requested that Foldos play for him. Foldos obliged with some of the most difficult works of Bach, Beethoven, and Schumann. When he finished, von Sauer walked over to him and kissed him on the forehead. My son, he said, when I was your age, I became a student of bliss. He kissed me on the forehead after my first lesson, saying, Take good care of the kiss. It comes from Beethoven, who gave it to me after hearing me play. I have waited for years to pass on this sacred heritage, but now I feel you deserve it. So I just thought that was interesting how God passes on a godly heritage to each of us. He has passed on a wonderful one to me through my family, for which I'm thankful. Now our third point, God's deliverance of Israel through Joseph, Acts 7, 11 to 19. Now there came a dearth over the land of Egypt, 
and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers found no substance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Then sent Jacob and called his then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and his kindred threescore and fifteen souls. So Jacob went down to Egypt and he died, he and our fathers, and were carried away into Sichem and laid into the sepulchre that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the father of Sichem. But when the time of promise drew nigh, which God has sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt until another king arose who knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil entreated our fathers. So they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. Now, I've always found this an interesting story. The fact that God would lead the children of Israel out of Canaan to save their lives in Egypt only to enslave them. But as I got older, I realized this was something that, that God prophesied to Israel himself, to Jacob himself. And I realized that God has a wisdom in everything that he does. One of the things I want to point out is that it's very possible that the reason that God caused the children of Israel to be slaves in Egypt, or one of the reasons, was because he wanted them to be motivated to leave. Because if they hadn't become slaves, maybe they would have thought it was pretty good. Maybe they would have started adapting the pagan um, practices of the nation of Egypt. We know that they struggled with that after they came back into Canaan in Judges. We also read through the whole Old Testament that Jacob, Israel, was a pretty rich guy. He had much substance. And yet when the corn was gone, when the grain was gone, there was nothing he could do to feed his family. He had no choice but to send them to Egypt. And then, of course, Joseph is made known to his brothers. They say, our father, Joseph, said, don't harm us for his sake. And Joseph said, fear not, my brothers, what God, what men intended for evil, God intended for good. To save much people alive. One of the people saved by going to Egypt was Judah. And who is Jesus? The lion of the tribe of Judah. See, God's plan always comes to fruition. Perhaps the devil thought, hey, if I cause a famine here, the children of Israel will die, and the great deliverer who I was threatened with in the garden will not come. 
but as he would so many other times, and as he will one final time, our God says, no, I get the victory. I have a plan. And then Joseph called his family and brought them to Egypt. And then Jacob dies, gets buried, and the people of God's multiplied in Egypt. Then what happens? Another king arises who does not know. Joseph, who does not know how his people were saved from famine. I don't know why he didn't read it in his history books. Or maybe he was willfully ignorant, but he didn't know. And so, they would be pressed into slavery. But notice verse 17 that comes before 18. It says, When the time of promise drew nigh, which God has sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, and then another king arose. See, the time of promise arises. Nothing bad can happen then, right? Because the time of promise is drawing nigh. Nothing bad can happen. But no, as with so many other times, God uses tragedy and trial to accomplish his will. Because if that king still loved Joseph and his people, they never would have left Egypt. No, they, they had to be prodded out of Egypt. <coughs> it's the same thing with the New Testament saints because it says that persecution drove them Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Starting at home and drawing forward through the whole earth. So even things that seem unjust, that seem really bad, can be blessings in disguise from Almighty God. And we will continue to learn more about this history as we go on, probably in January, because with December comes Christmas. But you see, as we're building this foundation, Stephen is tying it all together. He's saying, Abraham believed, God counted it to him for righteousness. And then he had one son, Isaac. You'd think if he was going to make this great nation, he'd have a bunch of sons. But he doesn't. And then what happens to Isaac? 
He doesn't have a bunch of sons either. He has two sons. And then Jacob has 12 sons and a daughter. But the great nation started with Abraham believing God. Genesis 47, 13 to 15, very quickly. Genesis 47, 13 to 15. Because God provided the wisdom of Joseph to provide not only for the Egypt, not only for his own family, but for the Egyptians. Isn't that ironic too? He preserved the Egyptian race right alongside Joseph and his family. What did Jesus say? He sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. We never read that Potiphar was a just man, but we do read this, that God blessed Potiphar's household because Joseph was there and that God was with Joseph. There is no situation that is so dark that God cannot deliver you from it. From You may feel like life is slipping away and that you are slowly drowning in a sea of pain and disappointments. But the Spirit of God declared through David, The Lord brought me out of the horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock. That's from Pastor Mensa Otebill. And I just thought that was a good quote for us to end on today. I pray that the Lord has blessed you as you've listened to the sound of his word. And I pray that you realize as we continue through this chapter that the God who is working behind the scenes the whole time in the people of Israel's lives is the same God who works with you today. Who's behind the scenes with you today. Who has angels, I believe, sitting here in this auditorium today. Because the Bible says that his little ones have angels. And they have audience with God. And it also says in Hebrews that we may entertain angels unaware, so we need to practice hospitality. 
I'll never forget one time I was in, I think it was Hobby Lobby, um, the day after Thanksgiving for some Black Friday sales. And I was just going through the aisles waiting for my mom and my sisters to be done with whatever they were doing. And uh, a lady came up to me and she pressed something into my palm and she said, get yourself a nice lunch. And she just walked away and I turned when I turned around to say thank you, she was gone. I never saw her again. I don't know if that was an actual angel or if it was someone that God used to bless my life that day, but when I opened my palm, there was a $20 bill there. I don't remember what I was particularly dealing with, but I just remember that being an encouragement to me that day that God is on his throne, that he cares. He has been providing for me in amazing ways over the last few months, and I know that he can do the same for you. Psalmist said, that I have been young, now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous begging bread. Now does that mean there's no poverty in the world? No, it doesn't. But Jesus also said, I am the bread of life. So even if you're lacking in physical bread today, he will be your spiritual bread. And even if you have physical bread, which I'm pretty sure most of us have in this room. If you're lacking spiritual bread, you're of all men most miserable. Because this life will end. But surely there is a hereafter. I pray that you'll be ready for it. Trust Jesus today. He's the only way to heaven. Trusting him and his cross and the fact that he died According to the scriptures, is buried according to the scriptures and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is what we trust. That is why we're here today. And that is why Stephen is here in Acts chapter 7. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us as we go our separate ways. That you'd lead us safely home. That you'd help us to continue to strengthen our bodies, to heal us where we have uh, illness and just sustain us through your power. I pray that you'd be with each one here, that you'd give them peace that passes all understanding because that is your promise for the true believer. In Jesus' name, amen.